Welcome back to the Curiously Specific Book Club podcast. This is part two of our investigation of Cold Water by Gwendolyn Riley. I'm uh, worried that we're not doing a lot about Cold Water by Gwendolyn Riley. <laughs> we've done, we've done George Best, Tony Wilson. There's a pattern emerging here. Curtis. Is it? We're it's doing a, two we're, old men talking about old men. Yeah. <laughs> I, so hopefully in part two we may talk a bit more about things that are in the book. Yeah, young people and things that the author intended. I don't know. I've got quite a lot of men on my list to talk about. When we got onto the construction piece, <laughs> which is quite soon, isn't it? Uh, talking of which, we're going, heading off to Piccadilly Gardens, aren't we? Yeah, you, you didn't want to go there, did you? Well, it, it, it's, it's, well, you didn't it, want to hang around there. It's not a particularly nice place. You thought to we were going to get mugged or something, didn't you? I don't think we get or mugged. Something I, just, was get I, thought, or I thought we'd get bothered. Is what I thought. Well, with our microphones out, uh, and we did, we did get a little bit bothered. But um, actually, just as we were leaving, yeah. there was a bit of an incident. All kicked the, off. The cops turned yeah, up. All didn't kicked they? off. The cops. The Rosers. The feds. Um, But yeah, I thought we'd get bothered and uh, I think we just about got away with it But uh, before we started to get bothered. Yeah. I liked spaces like that. uh, Do you? In towns, yeah. Sort of Larry Larry Squares. Larry Squares. (laughs) (laughs) That will be my... That's a new podcast. No, that'll be my first novel. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's head over to a Larry Square. About a middle-aged man being dumped and uh, hanging around in bars, maundering on about Ian Curtis. Yeah. 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 Anyone want to read that? No. It was a warm evening, and I was wearing just a thin blue dress over my jeans and my Mary Janes, with a twin-set cardigan and a hair slide shaped like a seashell. This is me reading for the book, by the way. It's not a reminiscence. (laughs) (laughs) The tall lights in Piccadilly Gardens were casting an eerie medical glow against the smudge-grey sky. I walked slowly down Market Street, which was deserted except for a lone skateboarder, and over the airwell pausing to lean over and look down the Grey River. So we, um, she is walking from her place of work to the Blackfriars Arms in Salford, uh, and she goes via Piccadilly Gardens. We've stopped in Piccadilly Gardens. Yes. Which is uh, right in the centre of Manchester. It's quite an edgy place. There's some quite damaged people around. Uh, you can hear probably hear the sound of a police helicopter <laughs> that's kind of circling above us. It's got a bit of a... It's got a very It's got a very urban, gritty feel gritty. to it. You wanted to stop here because there's a mention in another section of uh, some work going on here. Yeah, it, it features two or three times Piccadilly Gardens. Yeah, they're digging up Piccadilly Gardens. Behind a maze of temporary grill fences, there are heaps of different coloured rubble: dark brown, red, and a light chalky beige. Small yellow drill vehicles peck at the pavement, and larger diggers scoop out pits. They're making a Japanese water park. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> Well, there certainly isn't one here now. Well, no, it's been, it's gone, but it was there. Yeah. Basically, you're right. This this area has always been a bit of a problematic area. Yeah. They keep doing grand schemes for it. Yeah. And then it goes to the dogs, as it were. So after the war, they did they spent a lot of money to try and sort of beautify it and make it a grand public space. And by the 1990s, had fallen into being a rather scary place that you'd want to hang around it at night yeah. or any type of day, to be honest. There was a sunken garden, apparently. Okay. But it was considered an unwelcoming space, cut off from the main city, and its secluded aspect attracted alcoholism, vagrants, and drug users. Well, they've got to go somewhere. So this dates the book quite well because following the 1996 Manchester bombing, yeah. an urban renewal programme was initiated across the city. And uh, a competition 
an international competition was set by the Council for the redesign of Piccadilly Gardens. And in 1998, the winners were announced. And the successful bids included the Japanese architect Tadayo Ando, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, and well, that yeah. was his idea of a Japanese water garden. New paths were laid. The Piccadilly Gardens project was shortlisted in 2003. It was opened in 2002. Between 2001 and 2003, the gardens were redeveloped. Okay. So that's interesting, isn't it? So the building work didn't start till 2001. Right. So okay. when she says there's diggers there, that's 2001. Well, we're going to talk about dating, but that's an interesting point, isn't it? Now, the interesting thing for me is that basically, in response to ongoing problems with antisocial behaviour, and the public response to the 2003 landscaping, Manchester Council have now announced another design competition for Piccadilly Gardens. Oh, right now? Yes. The council has stated the aim of a £25 million project to create a world-class public space that is uniquely Mancunian. Okay. Well, So basically, every 30 years or so... There we go. They spend millions of pounds to try and get rid of the alcoholics and the drug addicts and the vagrants. In over 30 years... They, they come back and still here. Maybe there's other reasons why those people are yeah. alcoholics and vagrants oh. and drug addicts. Maybe it's not to do with the design of the public space. I think if you're trying to help al- alcoholics and vagrants, building them a Japanese water garden is not, not the way to it's go. Not the way it's, not the, right? it's not the first job, it's is it? It's not for them. Yeah. It's not for them. Okay. Well, should we continue our walk to Salford? Yes. It's the great contradiction. In the 80s and the early 90s, the music culture of Manchester turned a dead city centre into a vibrant city centre. So much so that in the late 90s and now, people are flocking to live in that vibrant city centre. The only thing is, they want to get rid of the vibes. So Piccadilly Gardens is quite a good example of what now I realise has been going on in Manchester for decades. What, 200 years? Of this constant Hmm. building and rebuilding programme that's going on in there. Yeah, Benjamin Disraeli in the 1840s. I bet you weren't always maybe to go there. (laughs) Great quote. Insists that rightly understood, Manchester is as great a human exploit as Athens. Wow. It's quite a statement, isn't it? Yeah. So it's a it's Cottonopolis was uh, Manchester was known. So okay. It was, a, it, was a, it was a massive mill town. Right. A lot of cotton imported from America. Whereas Macclesfield was silk, as we discovered. Macclesfield was silk. It was such a big deal that uh, the Manchester Ship Canal, which is runs for the best part of forty miles from Manchester, because Manchester's not on the coast, but actually when Liverpool put up its taxes in the uh, mid mid nineteenth century on shipping from North America, Manchester said, well, we're not having that. We're just going to build our own canal. Oh, right. We've a massive canal that runs into, into Salford Quays. I'm glad you you always think of our, our non-English, non-British uh, listeners, don't you, about saying things like, I forget to say where Manchester is. Well, actually, Manchester's I position on the... Know. Man, Lincoln was very worried about Manchester in the American Civil War because it was, the Manchester's position on... Slavery and, uh, and oh, I thought you meant the city of Lincoln was very no, worried no, about no, it. No, 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 no. What's Lincoln got to do Abraham with Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, okay. So Manchester's, you know, if Manchester took a side in the Civil War, it, it could have been really impactful. Really, in the end, it did that classic British fudge thing of going. 
well, we're not really, it's not really our place to say. Yeah, while in the background, while probably in the background, stirring it up. Of money, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a lovely bit from de Tocqueville, which I'm going to read out, and you may oh not want God, to Oh, my God, where you've gone in a funny this place. Is, this is, well, this because it's such a great description. It's a great piece of writing. So okay. this is mentioned in the 19th century. A sort of black smoke covers the city. The sun seen through it is a disc without rays. Under this half daylight, 300,000 human beings are ceaselessly at work. A thousand noises disturb this damp, dark labyrinth, but they are not at all the ordinary sounds one hears in great cities. From this foul drain, the greatest stream of human industry flows out to fertilise the whole world. From this filthy sewer, pure gold flows. Here humanity attains its most complete development and its most brutish. Here civilization works its miracles and civilised man is turned back almost into a savage. Wow. Good, isn't it? That's, so he's describing Happy Mondays making their first album, isn't he? I think, I think there's something to that, you know? I think there's something to the sort of the intensity of Manchester that, that, that comes out of that. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the person who wrote a lot about Manchester was Engels, Friedrich Engels. Ah. One of the reasons he was radicalised was he went to uh, Manchester to go and run a factory for his father. So he said, One day I walked with a middle-class gentleman into Manchester. I spoke to him about the disgraceful unhealthy slums and drew his attention to the disgusting condition of that part of town in which the factory workers lived. I declared I had never been seen so badly built a town in my life. Gosh. He listened patiently, and at the corner of the street at which we parted, he remarked, And yet, there is a great deal of money made here. Good morning, sir. Yeah, <laughs> of course. So, sums it all up. But it's probably worth saying that by the 80s and 90s, it had fallen very much on very, very hard times. So Sabout, W.G. Sabout, friend of the show. Oh, um, yes, we've done Rings wrote, of Saturn as a podcast, he, he moved we not? There in, he moved there in 66. To, to teach. He writes about that in The he Immigrants. About the immigrants. In Mossside and Hume, there were whole blocks where the doors and windows were boarded up and whole districts where everything had been demolished. Views opened up across the wasteland towards the still immensely impressive agglomeration of gigantic Victorian office blocks and warehouses about a kilometre distance that had once been the hub of one of the 19th century's miracle cities, but as I was soon to find out, was now almost hollow to the core one might have supposed that the city had long since been deserted and was left now as a necropolis or mausoleum. Yes. So that was the Manchester I knew when I was growing up. Now, the thing that changed all that, of course, and this is where the sort of where we come up to date, yeah. we had the IRA to thank for unblocking all that. So wow. in 1996, they bombed the Arndale Centre. They did. Now, the Arndale Centre was a... There's a, actually a video online of the lorry exploding. Yeah, no, it's extraordinary. Weird. It's extraordinary. The Arndale Centre was built in the 70s, very unpopular in Manchester. Nobody really liked it. Right. Now, the uh, IRA blew it up, basically, in 96. That sort of spurred things into action. And the two, again, I know this is the theme of this podcast, two men <laughs> in their 50s. Good uh, on them. Uh, so Howard Bernstein, yeah. who was the chief executive of Manchester City Council, and Richard Lease, who was the leader of Manchester City Council. They spent 20 years, basically, just ramming through redevelopments in Manchester. There's a fantastic piece in uh, peaceplaces.journal.org by a chap called Richard J. Williams, which I will definitely put on our Patreon page because it's, it's absolutely masterful summary of, of, of how Manchester came about. And he talks brilliantly about where it's got to now. There's a lovely paragraph. The new hell isn't made up of slums. It's an enclave of high-rise luxury, secure against the poverty of the streets, of glassy towers like the 41-storey Meadowside, funded by a Cayman Islands-registered Hong Kong-originating developer, and also like the penthouse of the 47-storey Beetham Tower, part of Deansgate Square, 
where the building's architect, Ian Simpson, can enjoy both the panoramic view and the personal olive grove he has planted in the glass-walled duplex. Such displays of wealth can feel egregious in a city that still has such conspicuous poverty. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So Cotton did it in the 19th century, and essentially property and development has done it in the, in the early 21st century. Yeah. Through drunken nighttime vision, it's growing thin. You stumble across the body, defining it. It being the careful beauty of all. That you value more and take on board. What kind of left so? What kind of left you? Love for her is just I don't know about you, but you are getting that football kind of uh, anthem. Yeah. Like you, last night's on Morrissey, yeah, Morrissey, It's Morrissey. incredible. I mean, incredible throughout Europe. It's incredible that it happens everywhere. But there really always was that slightly football-y crowd. And I don't know why the press began to write, you know, Morrissey as shadow audience and things like that. I don't know. That never existed. I arranged to meet Kevin the next Monday, my night off. I really didn't have anything better to do. We met on the steps of Central Library. Kevin was a little late, ambling up Mosley Street, with a collar turned up on his private dick Mac and a scattering of raindrops balanced unbroken on his strange yellow hair. It was getting cold, but I didn't mind that he was late. I was in a pretty good mood, all things considered. Hey there, Carmel, he said, with one eye squinted up. Hey there, Kevin, I said. Where shall we go, then? So we are uh, we're sitting on the steps of Central Library in St Peter's Square, Manchester. You can hear the tram going by in front of me. It's uh, one of the new spaces, I would say, in Manchester. Probably would have looked very different in 2000. I guess so. Lots of new buildings. The Central Library was completely restored and jazzed up. Right next to the Midland Hotel. Ah, where she has an encounter with an American... Lucas. Lucas. So, and looking down Oxford Road. Yes, yeah, so we've done a, quite a good loop, haven't we? We've done quite a good loop, but also it kind of emphasises that she's got a, a fairly fixed geography of Manchester in her head that starts with the universities on Oxford Road, takes in the bars to stop them, then the village, then up to the northern quarter. We've just walked <laughs> all the way to Salford to the Blackfriars Arms and then it was shut which was shut which has been a bit of a theme this evening don't come here on a Monday we're here on a Monday evening don't come here on a Monday yeah if you want to if you want to get a drink (laughs) I'm not saying Manchester's dry on a Monday but it's as near as damn it and um, (laughs) we've been turned away I'm very disappointed this book obviously I I was keen on this book because it's about it's got a lot of bars a lot of bars Oh, look at that. Isn't that lovely well, the scene other, the we've other, just seen there, the other, Lloyd? The other reason that Manchester's been was that? difficult today is it's the day after Manchester City. 
won the Premier League. A small child has just run past with a huge Manchester City banner. There's a lot Joyful. of... There's, yeah. Well, there's been a city parade. The, the 20% or so of the city that support Manchester City are out in force. 20%. Yeah, at most. The the Manchester City fans are out in force. So it's been quite a troubling day for me. You've had trouble because you got into the bars. I've had trouble because there's blue and white everywhere you look. <laughs> but uh, we have been on a loop. And so we've come to Central Library to reenact the scene where Carmel meets Kevin? Lucas. Oh, yeah, she meets Kevin. Kevin, the yeah, guy Yeah, she meets the, Kevin uh, here. But then the she guy also who wears two wristwatches. And apparently there was a cinema just bang opposite here. They go and look in a cinema because she meets her friend here as well. At one well, no, point. Corner House was just down there. Is that where it is? The artsy cinema was just down there. Oh, okay. So that's the cinema she's talking that's about. The art, that's the artsy cinema they okay, go to. Okay, that's good. Uh, so, which is no longer there. Right. So then she goes, yeah, she meets Lucas and then they, they head down to a bar down the back of, down by the... Bridgewater Hall. Bridgewater Hall. Which we should go so, to. I'm just hoping, do you think that bar will be open? Well, we're going to wing it, aren't we? Still haven't had a drink yet. <laughs> I've just realised we are recording this in a basement. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. can't you get the optics out? I get the optics. We actually know how we should do that. We should we? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should finish off with a quick short. But we hadn't. We still still wandering around, and we still hadn't actually been to a bar. No. It shows you how professional we are that we had not actually stopped in a bar and then just ruined the whole broadcast as a podcast, as it were. No, I seem to remember it got quite messy in the evening. Well, because you wanted to go to the metal bar. The metal bar. They went to a swanky hotel bar in the Palace Hotel. That was very nice. Oh, well, that was re- research because the Palace Hotel, she, she, she goes for she a drink, does there, go with for the, drink there with her friend. So that, was a, that was a legitimate yeah. location. The metal bar was not a legitimate location. <laughs> metal bar is always a legitimate <laughs> location. <laughs> so when is, talk about when is this book set? Locations. Dates when is this lo- book set? When is it set? Yeah. Well, look, I feel like I might be a guy who walks into the bar with your notebook and <laughs> confronts the, uh, the woman working at the bar about it. Yeah. No, you said that you was based in year 2000. Well, I got that wrong. Well, I've made some notes for you. It might help. Okay. And I'm sure that would go down well. She does put a date in it. So. Well, that's the red herring, isn't it? That is the red herring. Oh, well, I think you were about to tell me that it's a red herring. I thought it was a fish of an entirely okay, she different gets colour. A, she gets a package from her friend Mackie. Mackie. From Cornwall, because in this book she's dreaming of escaping Manchester and going to Cornwall, mm-hmm. which she doesn't do. Spoiler alert. He sends her a prayer book with a little note, quite a witty letter, a fun letter. Again, quite sort of artful and literary. And it's dated the 25th of September 2000 AD mm-hmm. is when she receives it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, no, that's when it's sent, obviously. That's when, when it's sent, So yeah. when does she receive it? So that would su- suggest, suggest that the book is in some way taking place in 2000 AD. Now, the problem here is, so she goes to, she remembers Mackie, who sent her this parcel, mm. and says she went to his birthday party at the end of May. And she goes uh, to that pub we were was looking for. The, the Black, Black Friars. Friars. They say it's on a Friday. Listener, if you're a loyal listener now, you know that, She's in trouble. that any writer who starts mentioning a day of the week... Is in big trouble, right? It's just not worth doing. Okay. It's just not worth doing. If you're listening, Gwendolyn, hey? switch off now. I think it's just not worth it. Yeah. No, she, she has a very funny gag because she basically says there's a cake and it's got the number 27 on it. Yeah. And she says to him, you're not 27. And he says, yeah, but it is the 27th. Right. 27th of May. Yeah. but Friday. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. There You've been one. on the internet again. Well, there isn't one, is there? There isn't one. There in, just isn't there isn't one in that time frame. There just isn't one. 
So in 2000, it's the 26th of May, Friday the 26th of May. In 2001, it's Friday the 25th of May. Uh, In 2002, it's either the 24th or the 31st of May. (laughs) In 2003, it's either the 23rd or the 30th of May. And if by some rare feat it's 1999, that would be the 28th of May. So it is never the 27th of May (laughs) on a Friday during the period of this book. Okay. But just to explain, just to point so that to I've one side. I've now done the ultimate sort of mansplaining yeah, yeah, yeah. thing you got that wrong. Uh, for this book. So can I just check, though? She's got the 25th of September 2000 is given as a date and a year, which is the package from Mackey from Cornwall. Yeah. Is the, is the contention that the party is the following May? No, I think it's the idea that it's the previous May, that she'd been to his party in that May. Or uh, do you think it's May 2001? I'm just wondering if it's May 2001. Well, I have a problem with that. Here's why. Yeah. So there's two things that uh, I'm worried about. One is um, that she then goes back to a a reminiscence of her hanging out with her friend Katia. Yeah. And she says, this time last year, I started hanging out a lot with Katia. She's the one who lived in Hume. Yes. And also, she also says that in November, she took a job at the Lowry, the recently opened Lowry. When did that open? Uh... The 12th of October, 2000. Okay. So she's saying this time last year, she, she, that would be November 2000, is when she started hanging out with Katya. But we don't know how hanging so out. Then, so then this year should be 2001. Yeah. But she's receiving a package dated 25th of September 2000 AD yeah. in 2001. Yeah. Now, I know the post is bad, but it's not <laughs> that bad, right? Everything she's saying about last year is that last year is the, is 2000, and therefore this year is 2001. Yeah. This year is 2001. But then she gets the package from 2000. Well, and then, yeah. and then here's the kicker. That year, she then says that she and Shelley go out on bonfire night, the 5th of November. And then the next day, she meets that American guy, Lucas, the 6th of November. And then it says that she then goes back to work and tells Shelley about Lucas and hangs out with Shelley the next night after that, which is the 8th. And then she says to Shelley, I'm going to go to Macclesfield. And and then it goes, cut. She says, I'm going to Macclesfield tomorrow. And then she says, it's Thursday and I'm going to Macclesfield. Don't say Thursday. (laughs) Don't say Thursday. Now, some very, very sketchy details reaching us here at Sky Centre. Important enough to bring to you, though, at this early stage, we believe that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Centre in New York. That happened within the last few moments. No details at this stage as to what sort of plane it is. It could well be a large plane. We are hearing reports of a 737 not yet confirmed um, yet, although it is a jet. Sometimes I don't know where this study was taking me. Sometimes I don't even know the reason why. That's why you can't talk to me. What are you talking to? It's easier than just to wait in around. Can I have a 175 New York? We have some problems over here right now. We might have a hijack over here too. You'll miss it. Uh, 
I walked back from Shelley's that next morning, swinging a small plastic bag carrying a record I'd borrowed from her. Factory Grayness was a very early song by that Macclesfield band I was so hung up on. Right? So she mentions going to see this band when she's 14. So you said she's 20 in 2000 or 2001? Yes. So we're looking for a band that was formed in the early 90s that had an early song called Factory Grayness. Yes. The joy of the internet is you can just put these words into the internet and you find stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it's hardly any work for us at all, really. And the band that, that matches up is Marion. Marion, M-A-R-I-O-N. English Britpop band, formed in 93 in Macclesfield. The person who fronts Marion is a guy called Jamie Harding. So he is obviously the archetype for the lead singer. Stephen Unsworth in the book, I would say. I'm sure there's a reason why that name has changed and that we, we're not meant to make the direct connection. But if well, you put... Also the, Stephen Morrissey. Well, yeah, but if you put the... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you, it, it, it's hard not to see it as that. The only thing about that is... Well, there's a couple of things, I'd say. One is that they actually broke up in 99, I think. Yeah. Jamie, I mean, he has a serious problem with drugs yeah as in the book that the character does yeah and i'm afraid jamie himself does as well yeah she so goes to see him doesn't she, she spends the night he does their second album released in september 98 but his heroin habit was causing a problem and then they had to withdraw from a tour because of his his health so they basically ceased to function in uh 98 99 now look by 90 in december 99 it was revealed the frontman Jamie Harding was working with longtime friend Wayne Ward on new material. Okay. So, in fact, by 2000, he was sort of back writing. Although in June 2000, Harding pleaded guilty to theft charges and possession of heroin was put on probation for six months. Blimey. He had stolen garden ornaments and sold them to an antiques dealer to fund his heroin habit. So he's in a bad place. Yeah. So it's, it's roughly right. Yeah. It's roughly right, although it feels more 99 than 2000, weirdly, in say. terms of the dates. But she also mentions yeah. going to see a singer on her own and then going to, back to Tony's studio after going to the gig on her own. Yeah. So presumably she's still going out with him at that point. Yeah. I go to my notes. And the, the gig she goes to, there are some lyrics to a song she loves that the artist plays. I put in the lyrics into internet and I get Southern Belle by Elliot Smith. Oh. Yeah. Well, she was bound to be into Elliot Smith. <laughs> yeah. I love Elliot Smith as well. Yeah. By the way. I Look for Gigs in Manchester by Elliot Smith. Oh, very good. He plays on the 19th of June, 2000. He plays a gig in Manchester at the Student Union. At the Manchester uh, at the University. At Manchester University, yeah, off the yeah, road. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the other issue here is I go to the set lists. He didn't, he didn't, play, he didn't play Southern <laughs> Bell. He didn't play Southern Bell. Oh. He didn't. Yeah. Close but no well, cigar. Well, it's interesting. He did play Southern Bell only once in the UK in the 2000s. Oh, really? Where? He played it at Ulu in London, did University he? of London, on the 10th of April 2000. So, I put it to you, Gwendolyn Riley. Yeah. Were you in London? <laughs> Did you go to a London <laughs> Elliot Smith gig and then just stuck it in Manchester? That is outstanding detective work, <laughs> Mr. Wright. I mean, that's very good. Very good. So, I think this whole issue of putting bands' lyrics and real sort of allusions to real bands into your book is a, it's a new one, isn't it? It's a yeah. new one for us of like, ah, oh, 
Now well, we it, can... it, it puts the writer in just as much trouble as when they give a day and a date. We were saying that she's, she treats uh, interviews quite in quite a disdainful, not disdainful way, quite, actually quite a rather good way, in yeah. that she just she's she's doesn't very, take any bullshit. She's very honest. And, and, yeah, yeah, and and is obviously a bit bored by it and being asked stupid questions by stupid people. So that would be me, wouldn't it, at the press conference? Yeah. One question from <laughs> the one question you've got. Were you at Ulu? Did you go and see Elliot Smith at Ulu? <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> My mom was a singer for a while. She was when she was young. She was in an all-girl group. They didn't make any records, so... But um, her whole side of the family was all professional musicians who, who had other jobs to make money, like installing signs and teaching school and stuff like that. Singing wasn't really my first thing. She was a good singer. My grandmother was a really good singer. For me, it, it's only in the last, like, year that I feel like I have any control over my voice, <laughs> you know? It, you know, some people, it just comes really naturally to them. To They just sing on key all the time, and they don't seem to have to try, you know? <laughs> Lucas was 20 years old, like me. He was from Austin, Texas, but majoring in sculpture at NYU. We had a good time out, drinking and shooting the breeze. At a small bar behind the Bridgewater Hall, he drank rum and Cokes, and I had the same. He had a way of scratching the back of his neck and pressing his lips together when he was thinking. But as he talked, he shrugged a lot and smiled a lot and waved his hands about. He really had a lot of energy. We talked about the usual. Books, films, music. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing else to talk about. (laughs) Well, when you're 20... No, no. When you're 20, that is that, 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 yeah, that yeah, could yeah, be yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that, yeah. yeah. We, are in a, we are in. We a found bar, a bar that's open, serving drinks. It's not a small bar; it's a big bar. It's the Rain Bar, which is a fairly uh, well-established. So excited! Knock my rucksack over. Between the Bridgewater Hall and the Bridgewater Canal. Yeah, so it's roughly in the right place, right? It's roughly in the right place. There's you saw me a puppy, section. though, because you said we were drinking brandy and cokes, and actually they're rum and cokes. cokes. No, well, hold on. The, the the next thing, the last thing is, I came here also because of the last chapter after that's, the, that's the ice in my uh, brandy though. after she went to Macclesfield and sat on the edge of the bed with uh, Stephen um, she goes back to meet her friend Irene who works in the bar I like Irene Irene went into the spa on Oxford Road and bought a bottle of Jack Daniels a big bottle of coke and a slim jar of cocktail cherries I waited outside Irene came out as a train stopped on the bridge we walked down Whitworth Street and she swung the carrier bar bag listlessly and kicked her small feet into the black puddles. This is what they're calling the post-industrial landscape. I think it's just worn out. The sky pressed down like iron. That's pretty good, isn't it? It's very good. 
At the end of Deansgate, we edged down a path of sharp red gravel stuck in frozen mud and sat on a solitary bench facing the canal. Yeah. So pretty much down here, right? The wood was dark and icy cold with rain from the night before. We both sat with our legs pulled up and crossed. So they're hanging around here. They are hanging around here. And we've come full circle. So we started at that spar on Oxford Road, pretty much. Yeah. And then this is a good place to sort of finish your circular walk because directly behind Lloyd is, is a block of flats. A block of flats. A very nondescript very non block of flats across the canal. On the other side of the canal from the uh, rain yeah. bar. Well, we're at the rain bar. What I like about rain bar, this is... The, the, well, the, first of all, we should say we're in Manchester. Anybody who doesn't know Manchester's reputation, for if rain. you're listening to this in a, in a warm country, yeah. um, Manchester, the reputation Manchester has is that it rains a lot. Yes. And it does rain a lot. Yeah, so that's... Uh, and that's the why, rain bar. That's, why, and that's not why it's called the rain bar, though, right? No. It's because it used to be an umbrella factory. And we they were, couldn't, we they couldn't sell, a, they couldn't sell enough, enough umbrellas, umbrellas to make it work. In, in Manchester. I know, the one place in the world where you think they managed to get, keep an umbrella factory and open. And this book's called Cold Water, right? It's called Cold Water. <laughs> Cold Water, Rain Bar. It's all coming together. It's all very good. The building on the other side of the canal is a nondescript early noughties block of flats. But? Um, that formerly, formerly, yeah. was the location of the Hacienda. Yeah, you know where we said that Macclesfield's got no culture? Yeah. This is where the culture went. The culture the came Mac- here. The culture of Macclesfield came, came here. Came here and opened a, opened a rather famous nightclub, which I have to admit I never went to. I've no, never been I've to the Hacienda. I've never been to the Hacienda. Um, um, so, listener, you may, do you know about the Hacienda? You are you asking me? Well, so the Hacienda was would the, know about The that? Hacienda was opened by a chap called Anthony Wilson and a record company called Factory Records in the early 1980s. Uh, as a kind of offshoot from gr- an increasingly successful record label that, w- that was publishing New Order, it would then publish Happy Mondays, lots of other bands. And Anthony Wilson was a, a journalist at Granada Television who made it his mission, really, to kind of put Manchester music on the map, and successfully, and is sort of worshipped in Manchester now, uh, even though he was pretty much hated at the time. He was played by Steve Coogan in the film uh, 24-Hour Party People, and I can't remember who, but somebody memorably described it as the biggest twat in Manchester playing the second biggest twat in Manchester. Um, but I can't remember who said that. Um, what I didn't know was that the end of the name of it comes from a slogan of um, the Situationist International. Of course it did. That's very Tony Wilson. The Hacienda must be built. Yeah. Very That's good. good. Yeah. We like him for that. It's very 80s. It was opened on the 21st of May, 1982, and uh, Bernard Manning was present, the comedian... Well, he played the opening night. Apparently he was here. Maybe that's another point about the 80s. They loved that irony, the ironic they did. stuff. Yeah. His quote was, I've played some shitholes during my time, but this is really something. I played some shitholes during my time, but this is really something. Yes, that's, that's much better yeah. than mine. Much better than yeah. mine. Yeah. The Smiths performed three times oh, really? at the Hacienda in 1983. So it lost its entertainment licence in June 97. Due to drugs and gangs, The last right? night of the club was the 28th of June, 1997, in a club night called Freak. The last band to play here was Spiritualized. Spiritualized? Yes. Well, if you want your drugs. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Easy. Following a number of years standing empty, the Whitworth Street West site was purchased from receivers by Crosby Homes. They chose to demolish the nightclub and reuse the site for the construction of domestic flats. Some of the most tedious-looking domestic are, flats you will ever see. It is still called the Hacienda, 
a name which they have to license off Peter Hook. Oh. Because he owns it. Well, that's good, actually, isn't it? <laughs> Somebody's making some money out of it. Demolished in 2002... So it's knocked down in 2002. So the club would still have been open when this book was being written. It would have been empty and derelict at the point when she was sitting down here at the end of the book. I closed my eyes and listened to the slow tug-tide of my breath. I want to move to Cornwall, Irene, I said. Mackie goes there every year. He's told me all about it. It's a whole different life down there. There's different flora and fauna and the children are like pixies. I really think I should go there sometime soon. She nodded and stared ahead, and then we both started laughing. That's brilliant. Oh, God, it's so good. That's so good, isn't it? That yeah. We both started laughing. But great that we started uh, in Macclesfield at Ian Curzon's grave. Absolutely. And we ended at the... In the at the rubble, Grave of Factory Records. The Grave of Factory <laughs> Records, the Hacienda <laughs> housing development. Yeah. Wow, it's so almost like we planned it. Well... We planned a sort of 50-something blokes, blokes version of version cold water of yeah. this, paying no attention to what <laughs> Gwendolyn Riley wants to talk about in her book. Every Thursday, I'll be talking to people in the public eye to try and discover a little bit more about what makes them tick. And my first guest is a comedian and club owner whose reputation precedes him. He needs no real introduction from me. Hello, Bernard Manning. Hello, Philip. You began as a Roman Catholic church choir boy. Now, that's not really today's image. What were you like as a lad? Uh, just like any ordinary lad. Uh, played football, cricket. Uh, did a bit of thieving at the shops. When we was on evacuation, we used to go into Woolworths and lift a few things like, you know. All the things that naughty boys do, smoking in the toilets, I've done it all. Again, in the spirit of being men of a certain age uh, and of a certain culture... We would like to reduce this book to a a simple mark. A rating. So just a mark, yeah. Yeah, two yeah. marks. To reduce it down to a, a less scary uh, and manageable concept. Yes, yeah, so that we can just own. hollow out all the emotional content yeah. and just uh, yeah, keep yeah. it. We don't want any of that stuff in our lives. Exactly. Okay. Clarity. So we, we award two ratings, don't we? We award a, a rating for artistic merit. Yes. I love it, artistic <laughs> merit. And we award a rating for our curiously specific rating. for Q-spec. How how specific it is about dates and locations. Q-spec, Q-spec. What order do you want to do them in? I, well, let's go straight to artistic rating. Straight I, to artistic rating. I really liked this book. I think it's a terrifically well-written, well-constructed book. It's quite artful, I suppose, because I'm, I'm an English graduate and I have done some writing and I'm now of a certain age. I do look at it as a sort of young person's first book. And I'm sure everybody, you know, you, you look at your own work like that, don't you? Mm-hmm. So, and you sort of see the influences and it's not quite swan-like. You can sort of see the paddling. But I love it for all of that because it is a young person's book. And it reminded me of being 20 and being dumped. <laughs> <laughs> but sadly, I didn't get to listen to cool mank music. I didn't get to listen to Elliot Smith because yeah. I'm a bit older. Yeah. So I had to listen to fucking prefab sprout or something. <laughs> Helpful. Yeah. Well, I do remember going through quite a difficult time in my marriage around that time of 2000, 2001. I won't go into detail, listener. <laughs> and I listened a lot to Lou Reed's Ecstasy. Okay. And found that to be quite a good sort of breakup. I'm feeling miserable. Right. Uh, Nobody Loves Me kind of album. Okay. 
So I, I feel that that sense of, you know, he's saying, oh, she hasn't noticed that Manchester's a building site. She hasn't noticed that the Commonwealth Games is coming up. She hasn't noticed 9-11. Yeah. You sort of think, well, you, and you said quite rightly, well, when you're 20, you don't notice these things, do you? You're just reading books. They're not important. Thinking about your mates and no. why they like you or don't like you. Mm. And what you're going to do with your life about how you're going to get to be famous or do or yeah. be an artist or be a writer or when how am I going to get to be F. Scott Fitzgerald? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that, right? Yeah. So I thought she captures that just really brilliantly. So I'm going to give it a nine. Wow. I can't tell you how high a score that is from Tim. Yeah. I agree with everything you've just said. I think it's an absolutely amazing piece of work. I think it does have to be judged. Not judged is the wrong word. It just has to be taken on the basis in which it was written and when it was written in her life. I wouldn't agree with you necessarily that you can see the paddling. I think the paddling is sort of the point. In some, for, there's something about Gwendolyn Riley where the whole, you know, the, the things that she's read and the things that she thinks are all part of the package. As, yeah. uh, and uh, seeing all that on the, on the page. The thing I would say about it is I think it's one of those books that if we weren't doing this podcast, I probably never would have read. So I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity to read it because it's, um, it's just, you know, if you said to me, here's a book by a 20-year-old young woman from, you know, 2000, I'd go, well, that has nothing to say to me. And it, and it does have a lot to say to me. As a bloke of a certain era and age, to get inside the head of a, from a woman's perspective about, about, relation, about why she loves this man, what's attractive about him, what isn't, what's mean, what's lovely, yeah. you know, why women bother with men yeah, at all. Well, that is, the eternal, interesting. that is the eternal question, isn't it? <laughs> Why do you bother with men at all? So I would give it a nine as well. Wow. Because I think it's... Uh, That's our highest mark, isn't I it? I think it's... I Although think you I, went very high with H.G. Wells, didn't you? Yeah, I just... For different reasons. I, I'm, I'm wary. I'm sort of wary of being patronising about this. I don't think it's patronising. Oh, well done. It's I think a, we're both I, learning. I genuinely think it's a proper yeah. achievement, this book. And, yeah, I agree. Um, and also for us, it's, you know... I'm happy to say I'm quite an, you know, I'm quite ignorant about this kind of literature, and it's a, it's yeah, totally, it's good totally. It's good to be and be taught, but yeah, okay, <laughs> but this curiously specific but. rating, yeah, <laughs> this may this may be more challenging. The for... Q-spec rating, the dating thing really bothers me as it always does. The dating is slightly all over the place because you just think you could just it wouldn't take much to fix this. Why don't people sit down with calendars? Well, I will. I, I would say that I would say that um, uh, after two books, she mo- she moved to Granter. Oh, maybe there. So maybe that was better. why. Maybe she was so furious about the uh, the oh, editing the job vintage's, that was done by uh, Vintage. Dates, dating, and location uh, sub editor is not up to snuff with Jonathan Cape, wasn't it? Jonathan, Jonathan Cape. Cape. So the person responsible for fact-checking dates and locations was not up to snuff. Well, I, I'm taking Jonathan Cape to Katas rather than Gwendolyn Riley. I'm actually she's a young author. She needs she needs help with this stuff. Yeah. Somebody should have been there watching her back. And you, Preferably a middle aged man. And you let her, <laughs> and you let her down. <laughs> I would say. But the locations are good. The walk at the route we've got for you, listener, of like a walk around Manchester based on a book is good. I would say also the feel is good. Okay. Uh, but I gave James Herbert of the rats <laughs> a bit of a hard time a very, I gave him a very low key spec rating th- I, I think it was four I think four it was four which I now kind of regret I think because of the low again it took us on a, yeah. similarly took us on an interesting walk he did was a bit all over the place about where things were and when they might have happened yeah. but took us on but actually you could go out and have a Q spec adventure yeah. and so four's a bit rough yeah. but even so I'm only going to give her a five a five yeah 
I mean, I always apply your prism on this, which is, you know, can you have an adventure with this book, you know, based on what's in the book and mm. nothing else? And I think you can, well, actually. You, hold on a minute. You can only have one drink. <laughs> well, unless you go... Unless it's you, a book about bars, and you it, can only have one drink. Yeah, well, that's partly because we did it on Monday. Uh, but I would say, yeah, I think I'd probably go for a six, I would okay. say. So, yeah, very high artistic achievement. I think, listener, do read it. Yeah. It's a good read. Yeah, please we'll do. Long. Yeah, please do. And uh, go to Manchester and visit the Arndale. Sit in the Arndale and read the uh, Cold Water by Gwendolyn Riley. I think you're meant to sit in Victoria Station looking a bit moody while the businessmen do have a business meeting on the table next door. Yeah. Right? Something like that. Yeah. Or yeah. ostentatiously read it on the steps of Central Library. Of course. Well, well whatever you're reading, good. read it ostentatiously. And, or, or go to an art house cinema if there's one left they haven't knocked down and rebuilt yeah. and uh, sit in the bar there with a very hefty... But with that yeah. and Death in Venice. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in the corner... In the perfect pose. The problem with Kindles is you can't show your book cover, can you? That's why I don't buy them. So that's the end of our cold water adventure. Really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed that. Of course you did. Yeah. Yeah. When are we doing the Norwich adventure? <laughs> Has anyone written a book about it, Norwich? Well, we could do. We have to do Malcolm Bradbury. Oh no. <laughs> anyway, we've we come to campus. the point where we have to say some thank yous. So I'm going to do my usual one about the Q-Spec theme tune, the bassy loop we use. I want to thank the artist Learning Music from the Free Music Archive yeah. for the use of that. We need to also say thanks musically for this one, and quite strongly to Jamie Harding Absolutely. of Marion. Yeah, really enjoyed his um, stuff. Because you, you, you were in contact with him, weren't you? Well, he very, very sweetly. I, I mailed um, the website marionthegroup.com and also found him on Twitter at Jamie H. Official. Mm-hmm. I said, is there any chance we can use your music? And he was like, yeah, knock yourself out. It's, um, uh, Fantastic. He, yeah, and I don't know whether he's actually listened to our podcast, but he said, but he, said he liked the idea of it as well. Okay, well, hopefully that's what you've done with well, it. Yeah, well, what I've done is um, I've basically used music that he posts on his YouTube channel, and his Facebook channel, but he did a load of recordings during lockdown online. Which I find really, they're really good. I really enjoyed them. Yeah, yeah, he's got such a great voice, I think. So if you want to check those out, you you can go to the Jamie Harding official Facebook page. Now, he's Jamie, J-A-I-M-E. Just watch out for that. So Jamie Harding official is a Facebook page. And then also on YouTube, um, you need to search for his management company, which is called Le Mépris Management. Le Mépris Management. I'm saying it in the French way. It could be just Mépris. I don't know. <laughs> the, but anyway, that's where they are, the YouTube and the Facebook. And I, I highly recommend it. I'd like to thank the uh, the Manchester Massive. Oh, so gosh. I had some, I had some good, I had some great <laughs> chats on WhatsApp with uh, with uh, Manchester. Because you've all eaten too many pies. With Manchester Friends Relations. So a big a big shout out to uh, Neil, Anne, uh, Nicole, and Jeremy, and also my cousin Caroline, who all provided bar recommendations. Yeah, that all came a bit easy to you, yeah. lot, didn't it? I just went on a WhatsApp going, looking for a bar around this sort of time. Oh, yeah. And I think it was Neil, actually, who put me on to uh, uh, Cypress Tavern. Tavern. There we are. That's another reason why I won't do Norwich, because I, I can't think of a Norwich massive. <laughs> well, you know, just saying. Now, what we do need to talk about is the Patreon massive. The Patreon massive, which is growing more massive by the day. <laughs> If you want to get hold of these podcasts as soon as they come out and ad-free and you want to have access 
to all the links of uh, information that we we talk about. And there's loads in here actually about Manchester, you particularly, mm-hmm. your detockville and your your Disraeli. Did you enjoy that? Uh, well, yes, I did actually. Bit of I thought I was listening to Radio Four. <laughs> if you want all the links of our research, you have to support us on Patreon. Go to Patreon and look for Curiosity Specific Book Club. Now, look, there's more than one level of support you can you can do at the basic level, which is two pounds. Two pounds. It's not a lot, is it? But for five pounds, because we've just dropped the price recently, yeah. you can become a community patron supporter yeah. which means you get access to our discord server and there there are some very interesting conversations that go on about um, suggestions of books we might do in the future there is a section on our field trips where we sort of post live from where we happen to be and people can chat to us while we do that and then there's some talk about specific uh, books also uh, you can you know remote controls a little bit you know, if you know if you know we're in the field, you know, send us that. send us to places. Good luck. I'll go. I don't Tim take, won't go. I don't take well to instructions. Take instructions very well. <laughs> and then we also want you to talk about us on social media. Well, Absolutely. we do. Stig does. Yeah, our Stig, guy, our, marketing. our marketing director, and director now, yeah, yeah. of Curiously Specific Book Club Limited, presumably self-promoted. I haven't. I don't know. It's probably Curiously Specific Book Club brackets Stig Limited. Stig Limited, yeah. and it's probably registered in Jersey or something. Like uh, that. Cayman Islands. We are on Twitter as Curiously Spec at. Curiously Spec. We yes. are on Instagram at, as the Curiosity Specific Book Club. Yeah. Likewise on Facebook, the Curiosity Specific Book Club. But yeah, follow us on all those. Uh, and also, if you, if you like our stuff, uh, please shout about us on social media. Yeah. Give us a review on uh, whatever podcast of choice you're listening. Please do. Uh, get the word out. It yeah. will be great. Because we'd be like to keep doing this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, we'll see you again in a week's time. Yeah, we're, we're still in the north. We're still in the north. We're moving eastwards, though. Yeah. I thought I wasn't going to enjoy going north, but I'm actually so I'm all right with it. Racist. <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. shopify.com work.